Welcome to the Main Men Project. This is your man, DB. Transform from trauma victim into a victor over trauma and your emotional empowerment coach. You are now inside the Main Men Project where every Monday we are bringing you an empowering person or message to dismantle society's false sense of masculinity and change the male narrative. Thanks for coming through today. People who suppress their emotions have poor levels of mental health. Suzanne David. My guest today is a mentor of mine, a former coach of mine, the owner and operator of Hope's Haven Residential Services, my good friend, Robert Mazan. Robert shares with us his journey through adverse childhood experiences and how he was able to use these traumatic events to positively shape his life and the lives of many others. So this is going to be a great show, so make sure you leave a rating and review, and also be sure to share, share, share with those you think will benefit from the show. The Made Men Project is for every man and every woman that has men in her life that she loves and cares for. Now let's get to the show. Hey yo fellas, we, we made men, we made men, try to believe that within. I just wanna be a good man. Okay, I know you all, but tell me you a good man. Tell me you're a good man. So many men are being crushed. Societal demands to be tough. Yes, you, yes, you are enough. Okay. I just wanna be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, cause you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man. Listen, I'm right beside you, I'm right behind you. I know that life could be hard. Right? You're not a coward, you got the power for talking about your scars. No, you're not so. Let me inspire you, empower you, because society may wanna see you fall. You got another brother to call. So many men are being crushed. Societal demands to be tough. Yes, you yes you are enough. Don't bluff. Okay. I can't relate to you, brother, cause you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man. Hey, hey, I'm here, my brother. You know I love you. Yes, you yes, you are enough. I just wanna be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, cause you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man. What's up, family? Welcome back to the Main Man Project. I'm your host, D Bean. Today I'm bringing on my mentor, my former coach, owner, operator of Hope's Haven Residential Services, my good friend, Robert Monzon. Today, Robert is going to help me dismantle society's false sense of masculinity because so many men are being crushed on societal demands to be tough, deny any kind of vulnerability, sensitivity, or any internal hurt and pain. It's time to change that narrative. So listen, it's going to be a great show with so many things you guys want to pay attention to. But first, really quickly, if you're a man who knows you have the potential to do great things, but just not sure how to get from where you are to where you want to be, trapped in mental, emotional bondage, and being crushed on the self-limiting beliefs and behaviors, it's time to stop struggling with the stress, anxiety, self-doubt, and fear. And look me up on LinkedIn at DB Empowers and send me a, send me a message and we'll book your free no push clarity calls so you can learn about me and my team and if and how we can help you master your emotions and experience more confidence, certainty, and authenticity within the next 60 days. Okay, my man, Mazan, welcome up. What's up, my man? Welcome to the show. What's going on, young man? How you doing? Man, I'm good, brother. Glad to finally catch up with you, man, and get you on this thing, man. How, how How's everything with you and the family, my man? Family's good. You know, everyone just learning the new normal. <laughs> just trying to, you know, figure figure out what it's, you know, what it's all going to look like now, and how how things are going to maneuver. But you know, we're uh, we're all doing well. Thanks I for asking. It, I get it, man. That's good to hear. So listen, brother, I'm gonna jump right into it. Man. I know your time is very valuable. So listen, man. As you were growing up, man, who and what was your example of a man? Um, well, my grandfather and my father. Really, I was fortunate. You know, even though parents they didn't work out, they still. uh 
really made it a point to co-parent before co-parenting was a thing. You know, he, yeah. you know, my dad made it a point to stay involved in my life. And my grandfather was there, you know, just uh, supporting my mother, his daughter. So uh, I had two good role models, you know, not include, not even to talk about all the coaches, you know, the coaches oh. that, uh, that impacted me as I, you know, played football all the way coming up. Yeah, man, I, I get it, bro. So when you were growing up, man, when you were younger, man, like, what did being a man mean to you? What you seen in your grandfather, what you seen in your father, like, what did being a man well, mean to you at such a young age? Well, really, it was that, you know, when things are hectic, you're the one that's supposed to be able to get it right, fix it. Mm. You know, um, you're the one that, you know, I'm, not, I'm Latino, I'm Puerto Rican and Cuban, so, you know, machismo is just part of how they raise you. <laughs> You right, know, right, so right. it was a lot about, it was a lot about, you know, you, you're not weak, you be strong, you be there to support and take care of the family and protect the family and women. Mm, yeah, that's dope, man. I, I get it, man. I, I get it. So talk to us a little about what made you the man you are today, man. Like what, you know, because men from all walks of life, man, you know, all you hear is the success stories. All you hear about is you know, you see where they're at now at the top, but what are some things you had to deal with? What are some challenges you had to overcome to get to where you're at right now, man? Just share your story a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, I I, I moved here from New York City down to Pennsylvania. You know, I was like the Lewis and Clark of Puerto Ricans in Lancaster, <laughs> right. which is kind, of, is kind of funny now because <laughs> when I became the head coach at the high school, um, the school district population was 54% Latino. So I was like, damn, mm. I'm not even the first minority head coach because right. I'm the majority. So, right, right. So, uh, <laughs> so, moving, so moving down here, um, you know, it definitely was, a, uh, you know, even though I was young, it was definitely a culture shock because we were still going back and forth to the city a lot. And it was yeah. like two totally different worlds. And, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I quickly learned coming from such a just a diverse community up in new york coming down here that i was looked at as different mm. and you know having to really um for me it was more you know oh yeah he's he's a good kid to a degree you mm. know to he wants to date my daughter so you know until it gets too close to my personal life then it's like yeah. oh he's different you know so it was like you know, just kind of just learning that. I just think I became real. I really had to learn to read, you know, read situations. And then, you know, and then just everything that was going on in my family and my, my parents and, you know, some of the traumatic stuff that happened to me that really kind of molded the behaviors that I developed, you know, really, you know, stemmed around a lot of the, the, the domestic violence that I saw, mm. you know, mom and dad really struggling with each other. Yeah. And uh, and it got it got ugly at times. So, yeah. I mean, that played a, a a real big part in just how I molded relationships, personal relationships. Mm. You know, moving forward. Yeah, that's 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 different, man. That's deep, man. I, 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 someone who has been through the domestic violence, but I know how that can truly impact every relationship you have moving forward, man. So, what was the hardest part for you during all that, man? Well. Um, I guess just seeing during the rest of the violence, I mean, of course, it was just seeing my mom being hurt, you know, yeah. and even though she, 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 she'd hold her own for a little bit, <laughs> right. but she's a woman right. and my dad, you know, my dad, you know, was a strong guy and yeah. seeing her get hurt, 
um, you know, I mean, I was probably one of the few kids that when parents sit me down and be like, we're getting a divorce. I was like, whoo, thank God. Right. Yo, we right, kill each right. other. You know? Yeah, yeah. I was one of the few seven-year-olds that was like, you know, standing up clapping like, good. Let's start. Let's get this, let's get this going. Right. You know? What do I need to do to expedite this, right? Yeah, yeah. What you need from me. Yeah. <laughs> but, so I really, uh, you know, I, I I think for for that part of it, the hardest part was just seeing the pain that it caused her. And then aftermath of it was the the poverty that came with you know two people who really weren't big earners uh individually you know trying to trying to get it done for me and my sister and my two kids and seeing my mom mm-hmm. social worker and salvation army back in the day did not pay enough to live mm-hmm. in greenfield or Lancaster green or whatever it was called back then mm-hmm. and i remember being evicted and coming home mm-hmm. and seeing the big lock mm-hmm. over top of our doorknob and be like yo what's this thing yeah. and i realized like oh I'm not allowed in the crib and I had to sit on the steps of a, you know, of an apartment building and wait for someone to come and tell me where I was going to be living. Yeah. So, you know, the, the poverty that came after was, was tough too, because, you know, it just, I, I, it was one of those things where, especially back then you didn't speak about stuff, personal stuff, family stuff. So it was always about, you know, just trying to, trying to shoulder that and figure it all out. And, you know, mom did a good job talking to us and being a good loving mother and all that, but mm-hmm. it just was, it just was real tough. Cause I had to learn how to be real guarded and not let people know, especially because kids are rough, you know, but I grew up in the age of busted. Yeah. Don't let them find out you homeless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They will, they would, they would, they will clown you, you know? So it was this, uh, I learned how to be very guarded with all my, feelings and how close I let people it was kind of like my life. I lived looking like the Heisman pose, you know, Yeah, close, but not too close. Right, right, <laughs> Use right, that stiff right. arm. Use that stiff arm and keep them at bay. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I get it, brother. That, and that's, that's, that's tough, man. So, you know, when you talked about, you just said about emotions, man, and you regard like, what was the hardest part for it when it came to your emotions? Was it identifying what you feel, you know, processing through what you feel or expressing what you feel? Um, I guess for me, it wasn't really a, you know, tough to identify. And I, you know, my parents are pretty in, in intuitive people and insightful yeah. people. My dad does, you know, my dad was one of the pioneers in this juvenile justice thing in PA. So okay. I grew up around it, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I, it wasn't really, I mean, expressing them, you know, just being able to feel for me, it was more finding safe places to express those vulnerable feelings. Yeah. Because again, you know, my grandfather, if I if he'd see me sitting there and being sad or crying, he'd be like, ah, what you crying for? Yeah. You know, like, you know, you, you acted like a little woman, you right, know, right, <laughs> but, right, right, right. you know what I mean? And so it was like, and I was the oldest. So, you know, I'm 10 years old. And I, everyone, everyone, or the other three, my two cousins and my sister, anything they do, it's on me. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. So it was always like, you're the oldest, you're a man, you know. And so I was always like, never was able to show. I think with mom, I could, yeah. you know, but she was so tired and just trying to do her thing that I just didn't right. want to mm-hmm. burden her with it. So, you know, so was, I guess it was more about just finding an appropriate, safe place to be able to let my re- my real feelings come out. Yeah, that's 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 good, man. So now that you're older, man, how has your definition of a man changed? 
Well, I think a, a, a good man is able to, you know, be okay with showing that, you know, everyone, you know, feels vulnerable at times. Everyone feels, you know, inadequate at times and mm-hmm. everyone feels, you know, you know, where they, where they, you know, they need, they need someone to lean on or they need, you know, some support, you know, so you don't have to shoulder it all yourself and you don't have to keep it bottled in and you're able to really just be, you know, you know, true who you are and, and, and be, keep yourself in a mentally healthier space. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. That's great, brother. That's great. So you are a giant in this juvenile justice field. And when I say a giant, man, you've been going for, <laughs> <laughs> for almost as long as I've been alive, man. You are, you have mentored me in this field. You have hired me for a position in management in this field, man. So you work with a lot of young people, man, especially a lot of, a lot of young males, man. And tell us a little about what you do now with, with your business and everything like that. So actually, um, in the in the opinion of some of my former coworkers, um, I've lost my mind and <laughs> I've started my own program and all my programs are female programs, girl programs <laughs> currently. And uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely surrounded with an abundance of estrogen in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have uh, the majority female staff, the majority or all female residents. Uh, It's I have three residential programs. You know, there one kind of has the ability to support more mental health issues if if there's girls or young ladies that have any kind of mental health needs. Uh, And then the rest of the the rest of the tract is really focused on preparing for adulthood, independent living, and whatnot. And uh, the third house is actually getting reopened as a mother and child program uh supporting young ladies that have a child already i apologize for the barking we have a four-month-old puppy that is starting to learn limits and he struggles at times (laughs) (laughs) he struggles at times yeah (laughs) so 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 yeah i'm uh you know so i'm I'm, uh, i do that and uh that's my full-time job and my part-time job is I train for JKM training which is uh the company that started safe crisis management and mm-hmm. I am a master trainer for them and I go to New York City and I train uh managers and trainers at the detention centers in Brooklyn the Bronx and at their training center in Queens yeah. helping them just uh learn how to manage crisis situations more effectively yeah. So, so talk to me about that for a minute, man. Like talk to me about from where you, when you started in this field to where things are at now, as far as in terms of better managing the behaviors and the, and, and the mental emotional right. issues that young people are going through. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's, what's, what's weird too is that detention is very traditionally has been looked at as juvie prison. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's just all it's it's three hots in a cot, you know, yeah. and yeah. and that makes the so growing up in that in the eighties, especially like from a staff point, you had to be quote unquote built to be able to do this, yeah. you know. And there's a degree of truth that for that, no matter even today, but yeah. um, just uh, you had to be able to manage situations, you mm-hmm. know. And it's again that's over. It's a, it was a very macho field. Yeah. you know, early in the, in the mid eighties. Yeah. 
you know, and then, uh, now the only thing that I was fortunate about is the company that I started with, um, was really ahead of the times as far as, um, processing and they didn't really talk about feelings, but they talked a lot of glass or a lot of, uh, reality therapy, choice theory type stuff. Mm. And, uh, people, you know, talking about accountability for your behaviors and own your behaviors because your behaviors are purposeful type stuff. So it was about a lot of dialogue. So I went into detention after that. And when I went into detention, bringing all that to the table just made me that much more effective on the floor because I wasn't going to what those other guys went to right away, which was that physical piece because they weren't taught any kind of, any kind of verbal skills, you know? So when I just came in with those verbal skills already there, you know, growing up in this field around watching my dad, as well as starting with the company I did, I just came in much more equipped and I was fortunate enough that my superiors saw that and, you know, I became a supervisor at a very young age. Um, I got a chance to really start creating programming in detention because we started looking at detention in, in the early 90s. Like, yeah, we're not a treatment facility, but we are the we have the ability to make that foundation and make going into residential program or wherever your your disposition sends you into that more self-aware about your behaviors because you can receive information, you can receive feedback about being able to take accountability for your behaviors, you know, all that type of stuff. So um, that was really different. And, you know, as the years went on and my journeys through the juvenile system continued, I ended up at YDC where we worked together and I had the opportunity to lead our program into being the only program uh, in Pennsylvania, the only detention center of the 20 some odd detention centers there were at the time in Pennsylvania that um, were a trauma informed approach to working mm. with the kids, yeah. you know, and, 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 and when we brought in the sanctuary model and it was pretty funny because in, back in the day in 2000, this we were talking 2007, 2008, back then, um, no one else wanted any parts of that detention. And when we used to go to our, our director meetings, they were like trying to always talk and share and brainstorm how to deal with situations. And I remember the director from Montgomery County told her assistant director, don't ask Bonds on what they do because they do sanctuary. They're hug a thug. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And it was, it was just funny. And, you know, and it was funny because laughing because Anyone that knew me that worked with me on the floor and other people that worked in the field with me knew that wasn't what I was known for in my career of being right. hug a thug. Right. You know? <laughs> right. You know, so, you know, and, and then fast forward 10 years after that, when we're in meetings and we're talking about trying, when can we get together? They're like, oh, well, we can't do it that day because my fat, my, uh, my staff has trauma informed training. Mm-hmm. I'm like, trauma informed for real? I was like, oh, did you turn hug a thug? Mm, <laughs> now yeah. that it's a thing, now that it's a thing and it's, you know, it's been more validated that uh, understanding, you know, the trauma of the kids that we've worked with makes us more effective in being able to create a safe environment. You know, now, now it's become more, more accepted. So oh, it's just yeah. funny that we were, we were very much ahead of the curve right. um, in, uh, and how and how we approach working with the young people that we had at YDC. Yeah, man, I I, I truly love the sanctuary model and, and the concept and what it is about. I still use that in and my my coaching services and everything that I do now, man. It's all about that being 
trauma responsive, man, being understanding and responsive to, you know, the impact of unresolved trauma. So, and I I think that's crucial, man, because everybody's impacted by trauma one way, shape or another, man. And we have to truly be understanding and responsive to that. Well, and I think the thing that resonates with me about it is, is more of the fact that the focus is accepting that it has happened and being mm-hmm. able to put it into a place that it's not going to dictate your future. Yes, yes. You know, because because the the biggest issue with unresolved trauma is it's going to continue because most likely what happens and with our kids especially, what happens is that they don't develop appropriate coping skills when mm-hmm. that trauma has been happening to them. So the things that they develop are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the whole, that's the whole, that's basically what the ACEs study point, points out. Yep. That when you've been exposed to trauma, you're going to create coping skills. A lot of those coping skills and a lot of the effects of those coping skills and that trauma are going to be unhealthy for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so to me, when you're trauma informed, you're really helping them kind of put closure to it and put it into perspective so that their past doesn't dictate their future. You know, and control how they respond. So, you know, that's the part of it that I really, you know, the growth piece of it that it could be for the person. And that's what I really try to stress with the young people that we work with. And actually in New York, that's what, you know, you know, we're really trying to help them have a better understanding about is that you don't be surprised by the behaviors you see. This is the reality of what you signed up for. And this is why they are the way they are. You know, our job is to let them see there's other ways. Yeah. How, how much does a sense of false masculinity play into a lot of the behaviors that you see from the, the, the males that you deal with or come into contact with over the years, but also the male staff coming in? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and it's funny because so the kids, part of the issue with the kids is everything is the, when you have to talk about emotions, if you remember those magnets we used to have with all the different faces mm-hmm. of the feelings and the emotions, mm-hmm. and they could move the thing around around which one that they you know, were feeling at the time, mm-hmm. a lot of those kids, they really didn't, they weren't able to identify their feelings because everything was masked with anger. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because because anger safe. Yes. Like if someone looks at them and like, oh, he's mad, let me stay yes. away. Whoa, <laughs> you know? So yes. to them, that became safe. If you mask everything with anger, like, ooh, he's angry. Don't, you know, don't don't really get him worked up. Mm-hmm. You know, when really anger is masking fear, anger yeah. is masking anxiety, anger is masking depression, anger is masking um, you know, loneliness, anger is yeah. masking all those other all those other feelings, but they can't show those feelings because where they're from, that's weak. And if you're weak, you get swallowed up. Mm-hmm. So for the kids that we work with, so many of them you know, they've just developed that, you know, using anger as a way to let people know that they're not happy or they feel they're not feeling safe, mm-hmm. you know, but they do it in a way that makes people not want to try to take advantage of them and exploit them. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so for them, that's that's the, the biggest thing I see, you know, and then when it comes to the staff, for them, it's... uh. You know, it's it it it's it's kind of a parallel process because they have they they feel they feel vulnerable like they can't be real who they are and you know and I remember 
the few times that I've had to step into situations and they expected me to be all macho and get hyped and the kids yeah, brace themselves yeah. for this big for this big confrontation and I came in and I come in real, you know, real mild mannered and still but yet firm mm-hmm. and you know, showing that I'm 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 really not comfortable wanting to have this thing go physical either because we can do a we can do it better than that. Yeah, I can see the puzzlement, like the puzzled look on the kids' faces. Like, wait, wait, you're supposed to be mad right now. Right, you're supposed to be coming at me right now. Yeah. And they look at me like, "Are you? What are you doing? Are you trying to play some like Yoda mind mind games on me?" <laughs> <laughs> like, like it it catches them off so off guard, you know. And our staff, you know, aren't always good at that, so they try to meet that posturing and that bravado and swelling up the chest that the kids give them with the with the same thing themselves you know because that's how they feel that they're going to maintain control of the situation and when they can realize and and one of our coworkers we worked with curtis cannon had an expression that we use all the time that you know you have to allow yourself to be feel powerless to be powerful mm-hmm. you know and you have to be able to kind of step back and kind of let them see you know like yeah i'm i'm not you know I'm a person too, and we really don't need to go through this, and we don't have to. I mean, if we have to, it will happen because it's got to stay safe. Yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want to get into that with you, you know. Right. And and the kids, the kids can see that. You know what? You can work through this in a way that doesn't have to end up in violence. Mm, yeah. You know, because they they see that that you know you role model it for them. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's and, a- and a lot of staff, they're not really confident enough to, or or ver- enough so i think training is, is still one of the biggest things that needs to happen to keep helping those staff be able to develop that ability yeah that's and that's and that's true now, training is important man a lot of times what i've seen man the staff come in with their own unresolved trauma as well and oh it, for sure we didn't work through so it's, that's why i feel that training is important man so yep. what is one so here's here's one for you so i had a staff at when I worked in Barnes Hall, which was Lancaster's detention center, mm-hmm. and we were doing a training on child abuse. And it was like back then, child abuse was a one hour a year training. That's mm-hmm. all we had to do for it. So they were all in there. I was a supervisor, I was covering the halls while the kids were in their rooms, you know, having individual time. Yeah. While the meeting was going on in the day room. This guy comes walking back out after two minutes of being in there. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I forgot I got to use the bathroom. I'm like, well, hurry up. Get back in there. You need to get this training done. So he goes back in. About five minutes later, he's coming back out again. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I forgot I told this kid I was going to give him a paper and pencil to write letters. And I was like, man, go in there. Who's the kid? That's what I'm out here for. You got to be in this training. And then he tries to come back out like a couple minutes later. And I'm like, looking at him like, bruh. And he says, can I speak to you in the office quick? And we go across the hall to the office. I'm like, what? And as soon as that door closed, and this guy was 6'3", 260, big guy, big presence on the floor, big bravado. As soon as that door closed, he started crying like a little child. Mm. And I was like, like, what is going on? It's like, I can't be in that room. And I was like, why? And he's like, I was sexually abused when I was a kid. And I've tried to suppress it all my life Mm. and being in there is opening it all up. Like it just happened to me again. And I can't, I'm falling apart, Mm. you know? So we never know what our, what, what our coworkers come to us with, 
And we have to always be understanding that, you know, it may be something just like the kids when they get triggered and they get a tune in behavior that reminds them of, you know, past trauma. We see behaviors that come from out of left field. Same thing with our staff, you know, our staff, if they, if they end up being getting triggered or re-traumatized by something, um, you know, we, we may have to be there to support them and help them because, you know, it may take them back to a bad place. Yeah, man, that's that's tough, man. That, that's tough. And we experience that a lot. Well, so what how did you handle that situation? Being that training is mandatory, is only, you know, you had to have that one hour a year. Like what did you do yep. at that point in time to work through that process? So uh, what we did was we got we got we were able to have him meet individually with someone and, and go over the information and kind of like break it in the increments and part of his thing was he was starting to feel emotional and he knew there was a whole bunch of other staff in that room with him yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he didn't want to they he didn't want them to say like i said back in the day it was yeah it was it was it was macho (laughs) like that that wasn't gonna fly you know but here's and here's the funny thing is i was his assigned supervisor so i did my monthly supervision with him and the one thing that we really got an aha about was his past trauma was a direct reflection as to why he was so hard and quick like verbally and so quick to be heavy handed Mm. with kids with sex offense charges Mm. like sex offenders that came into our program they catch hell with with him sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Because he would he would he would be he would be very challenging to them, mm-hmm. um, as far as like when they started deviating from the expectations, and if they acted like they were going to give pushback, you know, he he would be quick to, to physically intervene. Yeah, quick, yeah. Quick, well, and it was and it, and it and it really to the point that he wasn't doing it effective. And that's what I was on that, bro, what are you doing? Why did you take it to that level? It didn't have to go there, you know, this and that. And I'm sitting there working with him. But after that, that incident, when he broke down for the training, we started looking at who the kids that he ended up having these incidents with that seemed to get, you know, he'd be on a hair, on a hair trigger with. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of times it was kids with the sex offenses. Mm, Yeah, that's powerful. You know, and what it reminds me of is every time it reminds me of the two scenes that we used from Antoine Fisher when we used to do trainings for staff where, mm-hmm. you know, we show him punch the guy in the face in the shower out of the blue. And they're like, man, he got anger issues. <laughs> and then they show later in the movie, the scene where the guy, the wet towel was getting snapped because his foster mom was beating him with the wet towel and whipping him with it, mm-hmm. you know, and that sound of that whipping and all that triggered him and took him back there. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I was able to, you know, see that firsthand in this this gentleman that I was, you know, that I was working with, and we were able to help him start to be more aware of it, so that he could uh, catch himself before he started dealing with situations in an ineffective, unsafe way. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's great, man. That's powerful to be able to do that. What, so, what what is one piece of advice, man, that you would give men of any age regarding? masculinity I guess for me it's just uh, feeling 
allow yourself to feel the full spectrum of emotions in life. And it's going to make you stronger because it's going to create a sense of empathy for when people are going through those things, as well as it's going to help you decompress, you know, cause I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I just got so much on my mind and so much going on and so many people getting on my nerves that I just feel it. And sometimes I'll be watching, I'll just, you know, try to get into something that's mindless and put some TV on. And all of a sudden I find myself feeling weepy. It's like I would cry yeah. watching a show that, you know, you know, like make like honestly, the the one that stuck out in my mom was the one time I cried to a league of their own <laughs> when I watched her. And I was like, what the hell am I crying about? But then it was, you know, it just, it just was everything that was going on in my life at that time. And seeing this woman, you know, at the, at the end of the movie, everything she was through with them and seeing her sister that she was kind of estranged from and all that, it just was like, you know, like it just got me and had me sitting there feeling weepy. And I was like, and then I just thought of Tom Hanks early in the movie. He's like, there's no crying in baseball. And I'm like, what am I crying about? They're not even allowed to cry. Hey, I'll feel you. I'll so I think it's more, I think it's more just being okay with, yeah, you know, being able to, 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 to let those vulnerable feelings have their place where they need to be, you know, because you can't always, as a man, you know, you just because it's the nature of your gender doesn't mean that, you know, you are not permitted to be able to feel vulnerable, feel unsafe, feel unsure. You know, those things are there. And uh, create create support systems that when you do feel that way, that you can, you know, either have someone or something that can help you, you know, kind of keep things in perspective so you don't feel overwhelmed. Yeah. That, that, and that's important, man. I, I'm with you. When I when when I watch movies, man, and, and anytime there's a movie where there's there's triumph and overcoming and coming back together and and, and, and fighting through, and I, I tear up, man. Like I ain't gonna lie to you, and I embrace that though. Like that moves me. Now I allow myself to show those emotions. I don't I don't try to fight my tears. Like I can tell you one movie we put on right now, and and I and I cry at the end. It's Friday Night Lights. I will cry at the end yep. when, 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 um, what's the country star's name? Um, it's my boy, um, Tim McGraw, when he goes, puts his yep. state championship ring on his son, when they lost the state championship, I, I, I said, I cry yep. every time, every yep. time. And I, and I, and I think it is kind of, you know, for me, you know, the, the whole, the whole piece as far as how foot, the role football has played in my life. And, and, you know, I think, now that I'm more, you know, I'm an older guy and I, that, that whole, just like when you remember some, uh, one time every year I would show the, the, the country video from Kenny Chesney, mm-hmm. you know, boys of fall. Yeah. Oh. And as I'm talking to my team, you know, what I showed it for is because it shows there's a finality to this. This isn't always going to be there and you've had it all your life and you take it for granted, but you got to really appreciate every moment that you're going to have on that field with those dudes. Yeah. You know, and it's going to end. And when it ends, you're going to have a void that you're going to have to fill and you're going to miss it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was kind of the rally call that I would when I would show that that one. It usually was like senior night, yeah. you know, uh, you know, when, when they realized that. And I'm like, you know, after this season, 
there's a bunch of you that will never put on a pad again in your life. <laughs> and you've been doing it for nine years. Yeah. You know, and every time I have that talk with those guys, I go back to remembering my last game there, winning a championship we were not supposed to win mm -hmm. and knowing that it was the last time I was going to play, even though I was, you know, hoping to go play at the next level, but mm -hmm. my self-discipline wasn't there. Right. And I ended up never being able to play organized football again. And I remember taking a knee on that field and just shedding a tear. Yeah. And when I talk to my team every year, when I put that video on, I got to be careful because I feel myself ready to get choked up yeah. <laughs> when, when we watch that video together. And then I give them a couple words before we go out and, you know, go to the battle, you know? So yeah. it's uh the sports thing is just, you know, I think that that is even as more to it because you develop, you know, this, you develop lifelong friends, you develop brothers, you know? Yeah. In your travels of playing, you develop brothers. I mean, Jones, he was on the defensive coaching staff with you. That's my man from eighth grade all the way through. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it is lifelong bonds, man. I know a couple, you know, me and guys on the tech, man, like we're still very close, still talk and just talk about our experiences there. And when I talk about the tech, I mean, Thaddeus Stevens College of Technology, which is a Juco we yep. went to and, you know, mine's on coach that, but it was, it's, it's those bonds, man, those, those, that, that, that impact that we have around that game of football and what that means, man. That's, yeah, that is, it gets you, man. It gets you, brother. So let me, yes, for sure. For sure. Let me, let me ask you, man, what do you, and I know you're, you're, you're real keen to this word, man. And, but a lot of men kind of struggle with it. So I'm going to ask you like this, man, what do you do to practice self-care or what are some things that you do to take care of yourself? Well, um, music is the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. Music, m my music is what helps me decompress. I think I like the fact that I, you know, in a commute, you know, I've always worked, usually worked places that weren't right near home. So I'd have a little bit of a drive. And I ended up making that uh, one of my coping skills is that that ride, I'm either putting some music on that gets me prepared for my day or I'm putting yeah. some music on that just helps me decompress from my day on the ride there to and from work. You know, there were days I drove up the hill at Abraxas Academy back in the early 2000s and my song was the DMX joint where here we go again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes, so sir. I, uh, you know, so music is one that's real big. Um, I, when I'm really you know, focus on my self-care. You know, I'm getting into the gym more frequently just because the exercise helps me just feel better about things and, and everything. But, the, you know, sometimes that becomes a challenge and I just got to keep working to get that better. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I got to kind of always get myself to just, you know, reach out and, and utilize some of the people around me because I still get in the habit where I'll just, you know, just I'll just shut down. Yeah. And just kind of be in my own head, figuring stuff out and, you know, and not really let people around me know what it is, you know? So yeah. that's one that, again, I'm still, I still got to continue to get better about because, you know, I'm, I'm used to just shouldering, shouldering the weight of everything and, yeah. and just working through it, figuring it out. And it leaves the people around me sometimes feeling yeah. kind of like, well, what's going on with you, you know? And then, and then just really, uh, you know, just, 
my my kids, my dogs too. Yeah. You know, my Rottweiler, that's that's my baby. Yeah. You know, she went through COVID with me. That was my Sally. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we were <laughs> we were locked in a room together for twelve yeah. days, yeah. and you know, so she she's my road she's my road dog, and then uh, you know my and my daughters and my son, you know my and my grandkids, all that is that's that's why I do what I do. Everything I do, I do for them. So, you know, that's really how I try to help myself stay grounded, stay balanced, and 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 not let this this whole thing called life have me all crazy. Quick question, man. And last question, really, man, is and I ask it in two different ways because some people kind of you know struggle with it, or but I'm gonna ask it in two different ways, and you answer whichever way resonates with you the most, man. So, what type of legacy are you leaving in this world, or how do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done? Well, I think people that have worked with me and associated with me know that, well, you know, if nothing else, and that's why this whole experience I went through with COVID and how it affected, you know, like um, my business as well as me and my reputation personally. Yeah. Um, that's was I think that was the biggest challenge for me because I've been a lot of things in the life. You know, I ain't been the best boyfriend at times. I ain't been the most, you know, the most kind person to people that I did not care for, you yeah. know, but, you know, for, you know, for, for the whole circumstances to have me labeled as a child abuser, I was like, what? You know, so yeah. that whole piece of it that, that I had to fight through and work through and, and, and get expunged and exonerated from just yeah. because of this pandemic, um, really really sat wrong with me because if anyone knows me they know if nothing else you know i i i will help my fellow man or woman and i will extend myself and people that i know got good hearts and people that i know that want to try to do something to make this world a little better they'll always have support for me so whatever level of support i can give them you know and i've and, and you know whether it be in my personal life, whether it be during through my coaching, you know, for those 18 years, or whether it be through the, you know, 33 years that I've been doing this type of work, you know, I've always been a person who, you know, really just wants to be able to help if I can, because at some point or another, everybody needs help. And I experienced it as a kid. So I want to make sure that I can help others. So hopefully their, their journey, isn't as is you know as bad as it as it could be and uh you know i think that's that and the fact that i just want everyone to know like kind of like i've always been genuine you know i've always been a a very uh down-to-earth real person and you know i don't consider myself better than anyone you know but i consider myself as good as anyone else yeah you know and uh you know, and, I, and if and if I'm remembered as that, and one that you know did everything he did for his for his children and for his his family, you know, then you know, then I guess I got my message across in life. Absolutely, brother. Well, listen, man, I I, I seen your legacy being built firsthand. I seen what you bring to the table. I see how you care about young people. I see how you care about your family. I seen the sacrifices you made um, over the last since like 2000. And, when you came back to coaching at the Tech, man, I got to see, have a front row seat to just your maturation and growth. I seen when you graduated from college at 40 years old, you know what I'm saying? Like I seen your your progression, the things that you've been through. You've always been a beacon of 
hope for me. You've always been a shining light, like an example. You've always been a sounding board for me. So I appreciate everything that you are, everything that you're doing. You are definitely a made man. You are motivated. You are accessible. You are disciplined. You are, and you are expressive. So Mazan, I appreciate you, man. I want you to take care, and I wish you the best moving forward with everything you got going on, brother. Well, thank you, my brother. And, and likewise to you, being able to be part of um, helping you you know, kind of find the direction of the journey that you want to, that you want to, you know, forge in life and the direction you want to go and me just being able to play a little part of that to, to kind of help you and be a resource for you. You know, you know, you, you family, we always, we're always there and I'll always be there for you. If you ever need something, you feel free to let me know, you know, but just so everybody knows the one thing that I will say, and I appreciate you remembering me graduating at such a late age and staying with it and finishing it. But what I also remember is on that day that we celebrated, I had to bust your cheeks in spades. So <laughs> let's always remember that too. <laughs> that was an epic party right there, man. That was, a, I, I remember. Yeah, I went, that was a good time. Was, oh man, that was an epic party right there, bro. Yeah, it was. Oh a, man, oh man. But that was, to be honest, a great time. That, that piece right there was one thing that really motivated me to to keep going through anything because it's never too late and to see you walk that stage at 40 years old man and what it meant for you what it meant for your kids and you know what i'm saying for your career for everything that you had going on man that was something i always hold near and dear to me man like so i appreciate you showing that example man and you following through with your commitments and, and keep on improving because that you know shaped me to keep on doing what i'm doing brother. so i appreciate you man well i appreciate you too brother you be easy all right man take care my man Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I truly hope something during this episode resonated with you. It is my hope that you know that no matter what you're dealing with or what you're going through, you don't have to suffer in silence, isolation, and shame. We all have struggles. We all have things that we are dealing with. And ignoring or avoiding what you're thinking and feeling and not allowing yourself to be vulnerable or express any internal hurt and pain doesn't make you more of a man. Please understand that. Also, please share this episode. You never know what someone is going through and something in this episode may help. Remember, no matter what it is or how hard it is, that's not all there is. You don't have to stay stuck or struggling. Your power is in your choices. So what type of choices are you going to make today? I'm here, my brother. I love you. Yes, you, yes, you are enough. I just want to be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, because you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man.